Hello and welcome to another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and super extra thank you to all of my Patreon supporters who really help make this podcast happen. This week I'm chatting with Ed Hooks, who was a professional actor in New York for almost three decades before he switched to teaching acting for animation when DreamWorks hired him to teach their animators how to act for their first ever feature film, which was Ants. Since then, he's taught animators in over 35 countries and created the essential acting guidebook called Acting for Animators for anyone wanting to up their character performance. In our chat, he shares his entire career journey as well as some extra super great, amazing tips to up your character performance. He also critiques some classic scenes from uh, some very well-known movies. So it's really a chat worth listening to. And if you're interested in picking up Ed's book called Acting for Animators, Rutledge has been generous enough to offer a 30% discount to all listeners. Simply go to their website and enter code AFA30 at checkout. And I've included a link to this in the description of this chat. And now without further ado, let's jump in. Hello, Ed. Welcome. 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 How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine, Terry. And how are you? I'm good. I want to know. Uh, so you grew up in the U.S., had a full career in the U.S. And I just you just said you were calling in from Portugal where you moved there. Why Why did you move to Portugal suddenly yeah, so wife, far into your career? Yeah, my wife, Callie, and I moved uh, from Los Angeles. We lived in Los Angeles. We moved here to Lisbon, Portugal, uh, almost seven years ago. Wow. And uh, uh, it's very nice to wake up to cobblestone, you know, instead of asphalt. And uh, it's... <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it's it's Mediterranean uh, it, uh, climate. It's uh, it's to our liking, and uh, uh, we're comfortable here. And it's a, a lovely it's a lovely country. So, and, uh, does yeah. that mean that? Uh, so you're still teaching and doing talks and stuff. Is it mostly online then, or is there also opportunity in in Portugal to to that you you've been able to move to? I still travel. I go. Uh, wherever people invite me, um, I uh, next month I'll be in uh, Armenia, wow. and yeah, and uh, I'll be in Armenia uh, in uh, October. They have a a thing called Reanimania, and uh, animation in Armenia is now eighty years old, and wow. so they they have a an animation festival. Uh, that's been going on for, like, I don't know, 10 years. And so um, I'll be there. And are you, I'll are you doing a talk? talk? Yeah, I'm giving nice. a talk and teaching uh, teaching for several hours, yeah. Wow, wow, that's, uh, you must really love teaching, so. <laughs> I do, I've been, you know, I've been so lucky to do what I do. I mean, really, I have been. It's allowed me to work with some of the best artists in the world. Wow. Uh, I travel, um, really, what's not to like? People, uh, <laughs> it's a, I've been very lucky. So so and, let's let's roll this back a little bit because you started in acting and, you know, I'm not an actor, but from my uh, naive perception of actors, they all want to make it big in Hollywood and star in the next big movie. Did you have those dreams? Is that what got you into acting in the first place? 
You know, I wanted to act on stage. I didn't care. I mean, I, I wanted to do uh, Shakespeare and uh, and look home with Angel and Chekhov. And I would have been very happy if I could have just had a, a stage career. Uh, and then what I found out once I got into it was that it's very difficult to pay the rent off of a stage career only. Um, and, um, and then they, I started doing commercials in New York. And uh, and I started doing plays off Broadway. I, I was trained in New York, yeah. and uh, and it, I was there from 1969 to 76. And then I said, okay, look, I gotta go do something here. And I I picked up and moved to LA. And um, after a while, I started working on the TV shows. And um, I worked on. I became. I was a working character actor always in supporting roles. I was playing the lawyer, you know, the school teacher, uh, this is the store clerk, the manager, um, always supporting co-star, guest star, those kind of roles. And I was, I was, again, I was very lucky to be a working actor in a business that has a very high unemployment uh, uh, yeah. rate. So why were why were people keep calling you back to be in these supporting roles? You know, store clerk and lawyer are very di different things. It doesn't sound like you were typecasted. No, uh, but that's it. You see, I, the, those shows, TV shows, especially ones in the 1980s and 90s, Murder, She Wrote, uh, Golden Girls, uh, Full House, Empty Nest, all those all those shows, those are written for their stars. And then they have supporting actors that come in with exposition, uh, plot points, uh, information, whatever, that moves it along. So almost everything that I did as an actor, I was acting with a star. Hmm. Uh, and and I, was, I got a reputation as a fast study, one take actor that didn't require a whole lot of direction. Wow. And you could give me almost anything and I could make it seem as though something was going on. That's a director's dream right there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so that's you know, I had a I had one of the big casting directors uh, at Columbia tell me that that was precisely why they call me in all the time. Her name was Doris uh, Saba and she said she said Ed, she told me one day in her office she said I call you in all the time because I know you're going to do something. And uh, she said, you ask very few questions and you just take the script and you just make a choice and you do things. And she said, I never worry about you. That's amazing. And, and when you're working under with, you know, there's so much money being spent on these uh, uh, shows and movies. And uh, that's a high value to them is uh, people who don't need a lot of nursing and um, just keep it moving. And, so where did you uh, get this? this like natural uh well i don't know if it's natural but like you know i'm sure there's a lot of hard study a lot of behind the scenes and and i've only ever acted in like corporate uh say a couple lines for this promo video before and like it takes me an hour to say a minute <laughs> <laughs> i have to practice i have to and and i'll get three words in and forget my line like it's terrible <laughs> I well, let me tell you something. This is a funny story. This is actually true. I learned more about acting doing bad plays off Broadway, off off Broadway, oh. 
than I ever did in school. I, I went to um, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and then I studied with uh, some famous people. Uh, it, and, and that's very good for your resume. But when you're in school, you're working with um, famous plays. You're working with Shakespeare. You're with che Chekhov and Sam Shepard. And you're working with plays that, have, 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 that are successful. And you know that if you just find the key, that it'll work. All right, now you get into the real world and you start working with original material and half of it is badly written, uh, poorly written. And, uh, and, and you learn quickly that it's up to you on the stage to make it work. And uh, you, you can't apply everything as Stanislavski said you, you've got to you've got to really in a, I want to say um, in, inhabit all of this it becomes a, a way of working that you learn to play actions pursue objectives it becomes very natural and that skill that I learned off off Broadway doing bad plays is really what helped me in Hollywood where almost everything is badly written you see, and so, they, like I say, they write those shows for the stars, and then you come in and you've got a you've got a, a character that says, uh, you know, well, Eliza, it'll be over here at eight o'clock, and then we've got to make sure that there's uh, enough food for everybody. I mean, you you have this stuff to say, and uh, you don't half the time you don't have a reason for saying it other than the script needs the information. Yeah. And, uh, so I was I was able to do in Hollywood what I did off Broadway. And it, and it just uh, worked like gangbusters. That's so uh, interesting that you said, you know, you studied under famous people, you did all these Broadway plays, et cetera. You worked on famous works, but it's the it's the bad. It was the bad, <laughs> the bad plays that really taught you how to to act and and deliver what they wanted. That's that's that makes a lot of sense to me actually because you have to you go from, I mean I'm not an actor I I'm not in your position but you and at least in my imagination you go from you know learning a line and delivering to you know maybe understanding the scene a little bit more and the pressures and how to make it interesting and whatnot when when it's <laughs> when you gotta scramble, interesting. So okay. So you're in New York, uh, yeah. you're trying to make ends meet, it's not working. So you have, so you go to LA because there's more opportunity there. You end up finding this niche of uh, easy to work with, can play anything, uh, mm -hmm. cheap because he only does one take. And why did you, uh, why didn't you stay in that place? I mean, like you did commercial work and then eventually you moved on to animation. So like, what, what was, what was pushing you to keep expanding your boundaries? Well, I was acting in shows that I wouldn't even watch. Oh, okay. Uh, remember I came into the, I came into the acting because I wanted to do Shakespeare. I, right. I actually, I wanted to do things of quality and I found out that I was going to get paid to do this stuff. And I had not much respect for it. Uh, but people all around me considered that I was a great success. And uh, I was in terms of other actors because I was working. You know, 80% of actors are just not working. And uh, I worked, so therefore I was a success. However, they, I was uh, not all that content with what I was doing.
Yeah. And that's the reason I started teaching acting is because uh, I, I felt like I could communicate to others what it was that I liked about acting, what it was that I thought was wonderful about it. And I could work with them on the craft and on the art. And I found that that was a, a creative outlet for me that was very important. I had an acting studio in uh, Los Angeles and, and then I had another one in San Francisco. And so at uh, some point, your friends were just like, how are you working all the time? And you're like, let me show you what I do. And then eventually you got enough clients that so you opened a studio. I had, it wasn't that I showed them what I do. I, I was, uh, it was about, I would, most of the people that work with me, I had many people that were working actors. And uh, they would come in and they were working on scenes from plays and working on stuff. And it was, um, uh, it, we were able to actually get into it. Hmm. And then and then what happened, because I became, I became known, I wrote several books uh, for actors. Uh, in, in addition to the books I've written for animators, I wrote several for actors. And, um, uh, and then what happened was, in, uh, in 1996, uh, we were living then in the, the Bay Area in San Francisco. And um, uh, one of my students in my acting class, a guy named Ken Bielenberg, he had been with me in this class for months. And uh, you don't ever talk about what people do in the daytime, you see, to, to put food on the table. Everybody in a class wants to be a good actor. And you figure they're bartenders or they're, you know, driving a cab, they're whatever they're doing. And uh, one night after class, he said to me, he says, uh, listen, he says, uh, I work for an animation studio and we're making a movie. We've never made a movie before. And uh, I told him about you and uh, they want to know if you'll come over and do a class on site. <laughs> and, and I said, knowing nothing about animation, Gary, nothing. I said, uh, I said, sure, why, why not? Sure. And so I go over there. It's uh, Pacific Data Images is the name of the company. And I found out they had been recently purchased by DreamWorks. And, uh, and they, the movie they were making was called Ants with uh, Woody Allen uh, in it. And so I went in there and I tried to teach them the same way that you teach actors. Uh, I went in with a box of scripts. I assigned them roles. Uh, they, I'm telling them how to rehearse. Uh, I'm going to get them up and act. And I'm going to give them acting notes. And then they're going to do it again. And I was doing improvisations with them and stuff like this. And by the third or fourth class, half of them wouldn't come to class. I had never had that happen. And uh, I mean, my classes were popular, they were full. I, I was a good acting teacher and I knew it. And uh, the human resources people took me to lunch and they said, um, it's not working. And I said, I, I, I can see that and I just felt horrible. And they said, well, Ken tells us that you're a, a good teacher and we believe it. And if you want to try something else, if you want to experiment, then we'll keep you on the payroll, but you have to stop doing what you're doing. 
And I, I said, well, I, thank you so much. I, I was so grateful. That's when I found out that my student, Ken Bielenberg, was head of visual effects for this <laughs> thing. Uh, that I had never asked him what he did in the daytime. And the reason he was in my acting class was because he aspired to direct live action. Uh -oh. and, so, and so he personally wanted to learn about acting. That's so how just a crazy coincidence of events that doesn't even make sense. It. Exactly. And so... Um, uh, so I got the animators back together and I said to him, I said, look, I said, I know something about acting, but I clearly just don't know anything about animation and you need to show me how you do what you do. And I need to shut up. And if I can figure out how you do what you do, maybe I can bring to bear what I know in a way that'll be useful to you. And Did you so understand at this they, point why they wanted actors? Well, they had never made a movie. They'd only done commercials. Gotcha. Yeah. And so they uh, they uh, they felt like they had to up their game, you see. Yeah. And they, you know, Woody Allen and all this stuff. And so I, they gave me a chair with wheels on it. And I went from animator to animator and sat there with them while they animated that movie. And I... I, after a while, it took a while, and then I had what I call my aha moment. I realized, you see, actors, stage actors, are trained to work in the present moment. Like I'm talking to you right now, and if we were playing a scene, you're, they're going to cut to your reaction. They're going to, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to react to you. You're going to react to me. We're, we're, we want to be in this moment, and as, as you see. And what I understood, what I came to understand there working with them on ants was that animators don't have a present moment. They don't, they have 24 frames make a second. And they have an illusion of a present moment. Therefore, animators did not need to learn how to act in a scene with Robert De Niro. They don't need to learn how to get up on stage. They don't need to do to do any of this stuff because the actual actor in an animation is the animated character. From, from the audience's perspective, Mickey Mouse is the actor, not Walt Disney. So the, the, the animator, in a way, functions more like a... Uh, almost like a novelist the, 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 if you're working with acting by remote it's uh it's a different thing but it but at any rate i just i said well actors work a lot on sensory isolation the actors on for stage you work on touching you work on seeing you work on listening hearing things just to be in the moment because these things also cause you to be relaxed. Tension is the enemy of stage and film acting. You've got to be totally relaxed. And acting, there's a, there's a, a paradox because acting is extremely stressful. You're up there in front of hundreds or thousands, sometimes even millions of people. And uh, 
it's very easy to feel like you're being judged and uh, it makes you tense. And uh, so if you, uh, and you learn there's ways to stay relaxed, there's things to do. You focus, you have things you think out and that helps you relax. Well, animators don't need any of that kind of training. What they need is to understand how a scene works. They need to understand what the connections between thinking and uh, and 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 emotion and physical action. They need to learn the stuff that Konstantin Stanislavski figured out. And but they don't need to learn to be actors. They're not actors. They are, they're animators. It's a different art form. And there's certain overlapping aspects between animation and acting, but you'll hear people say animators are actors with pencils. Well, yeah, well, so is the storyboard artist, an actor with a pencil, the dialogue recording people, the mocap people, everybody is a kind of an actor with, uh, it's if you wanna look at it that way, but really they're not actors not in the literal sense to where they're going to be in, uh, in having to play scenes with Dustin Hoffman. Uh, that's not going to happen. So uh, I invented a way to teach pure acting theory to the animators at, uh, at PDI uh, DreamWorks. And I did it. I reduced acting. I did a lot of... I actually redid a lot of the stuff that Stanislavski did. I went back to Aristotle and I figured out the the very the core of acting acting theory. It is, Aristotle said every human action has a purpose. Every human action has a purpose and his ultimate purpose was to be happy, you know, we but we act to survive. Uh, but every human action has a purpose. So uh, I worked out all of this stuff that uh, the, uh, with action in, in pursuit of objectives while overcoming obstacles. Uh, the, this is the formula for, for good acting. And then with the animators, I showed them examples. Uh, I found clips from films and I would say, okay, so this is, this is what happens when somebody does not follow these principles and they'll show them somebody who's doing some bad acting and I'll explain why it's bad. And sometimes I'll show uh, people uh, something that's good and I'll say, why? I'll ask them, I'll say, why is this good? What, what, what are the actors doing here? What are the characters doing that's right? What are, what are the actors doing that's right? What, what's wrong? How can it be improved? And I side coach them as they look at stuff and analyze it. So after I got finished with the, those animators, I, I wrote the book, Acting for Animators. There was no, there were no books, no literature at all for, on acting for animators. Uh, and and that, that was in 1996. There was no literature, Terry, none. I mean, See? that makes sense. Uh, animation's not that old, whereas acting is as yeah. old as humanity. I'm curious, though. Okay, so you did this new uh, uh, teaching course with the animators. 
where you analyzed videos and and tried to get them to understand what was correct and incorrect about uh, what the actors were doing. How did that apply to, uh, you know, somebody on Ants has a scene where the Ants come to the bar and their shot is them walking towards the bar. Like, how does that apply, that theory apply to taking that condensed shot uh, that one animator is going to do and then hand off to the next animator? Well, I remember there was one scene in Ants and I was sitting with the animator who was animating it and the Woody Allen character, the Woody Allen aunt, was uh, uh, was the direct. The, the script said that he was leading uh, uh, this uh, group walking off into the distance to to, to be alone, and uh, and so that's what they did. They had him walking off into the distance to be alone, and I was sitting there with him, and I suggested. I said. I said to him, I said, does he want to go? And and he said, well, because the script said he's going, I'm having him animate that he's going. I say, right. So does he want to go? And he said, well, no, I don't know. He doesn't. And I said, then have him look back. Have him glance back. And it won't take but a second, but we'll see that he doesn't want to go. Yeah. It's nonverbal. You don't have to add a line, nothing. And that's what they did. That and so this is the use of acting theory here. So you say you should be able to freeze frame a character at any time and say to that character, what are you doing? And the character should be able to answer in theatrical terms. This is the objective that I'm pursuing. This is the action that I'm playing to perceive to get to that objective. And this is the conflict or obstacle that I'm overcoming. Right. An objective should be provable. I'm, I'm doing this and I'll know whether or not I succeeded. And the action is you play an action until in pursuit of this objective and you keep doing that until something happens to make you pursue a different objective or a different action. And you have to have conflict or obstacle. And you can have, there's only three kinds of conflict. There's conflict with yourself, okay? Conflict with the situation and conflict with another character. Now, keep in mind that conflict in acting is not the same as conflict in life. In life, we don't like conflict. We want to all get along. We want to get rid of conflict. Conflict in acting is more like an obstacle. You can be in conflict about good things. You can be in conflict about whether to vacation in Paris or Rome. You can be in conflict about whether to accept a date with somebody. There's You can be in conflict. But a yeah. lot of be in conflict about whether to eat the dessert or not. So let me let me see if I'm understanding this right. In the scene with Woody Allen walking away, the objective was the distance to get away and and reach the distance, walk away and reach the distance. The uh, action well, was, yeah, walking, and the conflict was the internal struggle of him uh, with self of him not wanting to go, and because of all these three things that changed uh, how the animator actually animated this scene instead of just a robot walking away now there's 
uh, a moment where you can really tell that there's conflict, even though they're executing the objective action, I guess. Sure. The, the, he looks back over his shoulder, and what he's hoping is that they'll say, oh, never mind, come back. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's just fleeting. It's only a moment. It's a thought. You only need a thought. In acting for film, if you think it, it's done. This is different than stage, where you've got to project everything to a, a live audience, and uh, there's a you, everything has got to be bigger. Uh, it, it, with film, they bring the camera in, and uh, so if you think it, it's that's a, a big thing. I remember, uh, you know, the actor John Lithgow. Uh, he's a friend uh, from we used to do plays together in New York, John Lithgow. And I remember when he got his first movie and he, he, he came over, we were having dinner together and he said that the director told him that he had to stop his eyebrows. He's very active eyebrows. And they, and he said to them, he said, John, a raised eyebrow in a movie is an event. He says, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, he had to learn uh, these, uh, these things. So yeah. But okay. basically, a character should always be... see. Here's in animation, they made a those early animators, Disney and his and his nine old men and all these people. These people were geniuses, Terry. They were geniuses. They were brilliant, and they figured out so much. But you know, Stanislavski had not been translated into English back then. They everybody was trying to figure this stuff out on their own and they made some mistakes. They made, they got a lot right, but they got a lot wrong. And what they got wrong has, a lot of it has followed in animation training even to today. So what would and, be an example of something like that? Well, the biggest one is the idea that you can act emotion. Uh, they, they felt like if you can get a character to act happy, yeah. okay, that that's good acting. And what you learn as an actor, acting theory, is that emotion itself is not actable. Emotion tends to lead to action. So if you have an emotion, like all of us have the same set of emotions, happy, uh, fright, fear, uh, you know, discuss. There's exactly, seven yeah. emotions that everybody's got, and you, but you and I, for example, we have the same seven uh, core emotions. We both have fear, but we have different values. So I may be afraid of flying, and you're not. Uh, so it's uh, you're all the time saying, "What are the characters' values?" Because if a character feels fear, the audience wants to see what the character is going to do about being afraid. Maybe he'll run away. Maybe he'll pull out a weapon. Maybe he'll turn around and confront whatever is threatening him. Maybe he'll just stand there and start crying. I don't know what they're going to do. It depends on the character. Every character is different. But there is no generic fear. There is no generic happy or generic sad. 
Right. And in the early animation, if you look at it, so much of it is generic. They have characters that are happy, characters that are sad. They're doing a lot of slapstick, a lot of uh, that type of stuff, a lot of physical uh, kicking each other in the rear end and this and that. And today, your audiences are no longer so impressed with the fact that you can animate. They, they've seen fine animation. What they want now are stories. They want characters. They uh, The biggest thing that needs to happen today is that animation needs to demand that it be held to the same standard as live action. Hmm. I see movies out of big studios, out of Pixar, uh, DreamWorks. I see movies out of these places that have bad scripts. They're just bad scripts. And uh, and they're beautifully done. They they spend 200 million US dollars on a typical movie out of Hollywood. And you get a movie like uh, like Up, like Pixar's Up, Okay, it won the Academy Award for Best uh, Animated Film, Up. But that movie is two movies in one. The first half of it is for adults, and the second half of it is for children. It's a hybrid. It's not uh, that script would have gotten a a, a a a gentleman's C grade in a screenwriting class. And so I bring this stuff up to the people at the studios. And they say, well, we develop scripts by storyboard. We don't, uh, we don't do it with, uh, you know, like live action. We don't sit there and write, write a script. Like we'll start a movie and not know how it ends sometimes. Yeah, and Pixar's way is just storyboarding the whole thing. Yeah, but I, su I, I submit that you better have a story with a beginning. You can, you can edit it, you can change it, you can adapt it, but there needs to be a story uh, at the beginning. Other, I mean, I, I remember uh, someone at, at, at DreamWorks telling me that the, um, uh, oh, what was that movie they had where the animals escaped from the zoo? Madagascar. Madagascar. They told me they had to shut down production because they didn't have but half the script. They, they had the animals escaping from the zoo and arriving in uh, Madagascar but they didn't know what happened in Madagascar. And they had to actually stop. They, they figured somebody would come up with it by the time they got there. And, uh, and they had to stop production. Well, this is crazy. Uh, Martin Scorsese would never, would never do this. Of course. And, you know, you, you, you need to have... Uh, you need to have a, a, a an idea anyway of what your story is. Of course. And then you can mess with it. You can do things with it, but you don't sort of jump into the water without knowing where it is you're going to swim. So um, just maybe to, to tie in your other point about the acting, you know, you said a lot about the character values and what the character wants and, and also how the story progresses. How, I'm I'm just thinking like you know there's there's animators listening to this right now that are working on film and TV shows, and maybe they have just a couple of shots uh, or I don't know ten shots and they're they're varied. First they're doing something in the beginning, they're doing something in the end. How 
how does somebody like that apply the principles of what you just said when um, they're not like the, or maybe they are the main character animator, you know, how do they apply these principles when they may not have access to the whole script and they're just getting their shots from a director or that, you know, and it's, it's super fast paced. They got to do their shot and move on to the next one. Like, how do you, cause what you're saying totally makes sense to me, hundred percent, you know, understand the character, et cetera, et cetera. But it also sounds like it takes time and thoughts. How do you, how do you wrangle those all together? Hopefully the animator has enough of a dialogue with the director or supervising animator to where they could, if they have a question about what a character is doing, or they think they have a better idea for what a character could do that would not distort the story. You know, you don't want to be making major, major changes, but uh, hopefully they have a dialogue enough to where they could say, you know, what would you think if I did this? And, and, and I tell my students, I say, look, I don't want you to get fired. Uh, so fired because you, of Ed. <laughs> you know, I don't want you to get fired. I don't want you to tell them Ed Hook said, uh, you know, just do what they say. If they tell you to do something that you know is weak acting, it's because that's what they want you to do. And you're going to get fired if you don't do it. And, and so just do it. But what I'm telling you and what I write in my books and what I teach in my classes, I tell them some people in this room will one day run a studio. You will one day make your own movies. Yeah. And what I'm teaching you is right. It's correct. And uh, you can you can remember it and take it to the bank. And you apply these principles and they can save so much money, so much time uh, of, of having to do the uh, do things over again because they don't work. Uh, you, you're making the right you're making the right choices at the beginning, making the right choices first time out. So that's it. I mean, I really when I'm teaching also, I believe what when i first started teaching the whole idea was that animators were in charge of performance you could hear everybody say this what i've learned is that no the entire production team especially in cg going all the way back every the, the animators don't even come in until about after rigging uh, half the time and uh, and by then a lot of the major acting choices have been made the dialogue has been recorded. Actors in recording session have made acting choices. There may have been motion capture. They've made acting choices. Uh, all kinds of people, storyboard, previs, all these people have made acting choices. And then it gets to the animator. I, I remember listening to one of the guys that did uh, Avatar, the new Avatar movie. He's a visual effects guy or something, one of them. And I read an interview and he said, uh, he reminded me of something like Andy Serkis would say. He said, uh, uh, he said, oh, he said, we take care of probably 90% of the performance. He said, but the animators are still doing something important because they've got that facial stuff that they do. He said, I'm paraphrasing, but basically that's what he was saying. So what has to happen in the industry 
is that everybody in the pipeline needs to understand acting theory so that everybody's on the same page. Right. We've got people that are all over the place. And then the animator, a lot of times, like uh, the, the earlier on, they may have already made choices about whether a character is, is clumsy or makes big moves or whatnot. And the, anim the animator, uh, well, ideally they would bring the animator in to the discussions when the characters are being developed. And so every great to me. <laughs> yeah, that's what you really need. You need the animators, and they do this. Some places try to do this. In fairness, I've I've, I've been in some studios where they try to do this, but it 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 sort of disrupts the pipeline. Well, and the other thing I'm thinking about is like you know I went to animation school. You know I have I'm familiar with a lot of studios. I can tell you that no no acting theory is taught traditionally at your average. At your average animation studio, I don't think anybody knows acting theory 101. Nobody's taking acting classes unless they specifically uh, come from that background. So what I'm doing is unique. I understand that. But also like at Sheridan, I understand they used to have uh, an acting teacher come in and do improv and whatnot and whatnot. And they've just decided to, to cancel that. But you also gave me a hot take where you said uh, improv is not correct uh way of of teaching acting for animation improv isn't going to help you also they a lot of times i've had people they say well we need to teach the animators how to act so they can do better uh video references i do video but, references all the time and i don't know how to... <laughs> yeah, no 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 you don't you don't you don't need to be an actor to be to do uh video references uh, you're, I, I remember the, I, I had a couple of guys from blue sky, uh, animators that were, that came to one of my classes and they were, cause I taught at blue sky and they were, they were, uh, showing a, a reel where they had their video references side by side on a split screen with the final, uh, the final animation in the movie Rio. And, uh, and it was great watching them. These these guys are jumping around up there and pretending to be jungle animals and stuff. And I told them that night over drinks. We were in Germany at uh, at the FMX. That's where it was in Germany. And uh, uh, that night we were having drinks. And I told them, I said, you know, your video references really sucked. I mean, in terms of acting, <laughs> I said, I said, I said, you know, the acting in there was pretty bad. And they looked at me and they said, well, Ed, they're references. They said, you know, it's not about being a good actor. But I've had people at schools want me to come in and teach them how to be, how to teach the animation students how to be good actors so they can do better animation references. And I've argued with them. I say, you know, they don't need this. What they need is to understand their, uh, understand theory. They need to yeah. understand how a scene is structured. They need to understand what emotion is, how empathy works. That's what they need to understand. They need to understand how to tell a story. It's, uh, that's what they need. I mean, uh, when I'm taking video reference, it's mostly like, how do I, how does a human actually make this movement from A to B? What moves first? Is it the arm? How high does the leg go? Where? How does the neck tilt? I need like, 
stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not putting the acting into that. I'm more or less taking that for a reference to just figure out how to, how, how does the human body move? Exactly. So, <laughs> and improv, let me just say this about improvisation, because I know a lot of improvisation teachers. They're wonderful people. Improv is fun. Improv is wonderful for people that are shy. And it's also very good for making camaraderie in the studio or in the school, in the classroom. It gets everybody doing stuff together, playing off of each other, and it's fun. Uh, however, improv will not teach you what you need to know in order to structure a scene. It simply won't. And there are very, very few people in the world that are even trying to teach you how a scene works. That's the niche that I have fit into. When you and say how a scene works, is that you're referring back to the objective, the action and the conflict? I'm also wondering, you know, you've, you've mentioned a couple of uh, uh, media animation films or whatever that you think have not done a great job. Is there one that you can think of that's done exceptionally well when it comes to acting? And and oh, I, there's a lot of them I could mention. I think that uh, Coraline, uh, it was wonderful. I, I think the, the Iron Giant, what Brad Bird did with the Iron Giant. So what uh, elevated those? I mean, I, I agree. Those are two incredible movies. What elevated those in the nuances that you happen to notice that the average viewer wouldn't notice? Uh, you know, where, and, and, you know, arguably those movies, everybody knows about them. Everybody feels an emotionally connected to them. There's a reason. So what would, what would. Here's what the, here's what is that they, those, those movies and, and others I, I could name grave of the fireflies. There's a, there's a lot of them. the, uh, the, one of the uh, most depressing movies. <laughs> it is, but it's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Uh, here's what you learn is think about this in the early days of animation the whole thing was about letting the characters wear their emotion on their sleeves they would emote yeah. so, they're happy so big happy face uh, jumping around Yeah. the truth Terry the truth is that when we grow up we no longer do that we hide we have, yeah we, uh, we present to the world how we want to be perceived we don't run around emoting. In fact, we're very stingy with our true, true emotions. And so what happens is your audiences today are much more sophisticated than they were uh, in 1940. And so they, they want to see characters that are more complex. A lot of this has to do with who is your audience. Um, when you're making a movie, You'll hear people say, uh, well, we make it for the entire family. That's because they're hoping that they get a lot of money. But children are not little adults. Children perceive things differently than adults. With a child, you want to have a movie where they are much more overt with the emotion outside. They show it. Bad guys look like bad guys and heroes look like this is for little kids. Yeah. Now you're talking about adults, and that's the audience of the future is the adults, not the children. And uh, this is why I say animation needs to compete with live action. And, and now you're talking about a much more sophisticated psychology. And those two movies, Coraline uh, is one, 
those directors, Henry Selleck and Brad Bird, these people have more of an understanding of psychology and their characters reflect that. I think uh, it, it's uh, 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 Mark Osborne, remember Mark Osborne who, who did the first Kung Fu Panda and he did The, uh, the Little Prince. Uh, I think he's a wonderful director, great director. Hmm. Uh, the, uh, Verbinski, he's only done one uh, animated movie, which was, uh, 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 what was it? what was the name of that thing? Rango. Rango. Wonderful. Right. Wonderful movie. So what makes these movies, uh, Del Toro, uh, Guillermo Del Toro with his uh, Pinocchio. I can quibble some with some of the storyline in Pinocchio. I mean, with Pinocchio being a, a fascist soldier, but it's, uh, but the performances, Del, Tor Del Toro, he's masterful. He's up there with Miyazaki, I think. So there's, it really has to do with a director, has to do with their understanding uh, and how good the story is. And yeah, so that's I, I hope I'm answering the question. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I think it's I think it's great. You know, I, I think there's at least my experience in school and even in the industry, it's just about getting the the drawing skills up to par as quickly as possible. And a lot a lot of other things are skimmed over. And, you know, I've had I've had good professors at Sheridan and whatnot that teach, you know, what is the character feeling, et cetera. And I think it's something I always keep in mind too when I'm when I'm working on something. I'm wondering why have you stuck in animation for so long now after getting a taste back in 1996 instead of uh, going back to pursue teaching for actors or or maybe you've done both. But like why why has yeah. animation kind of lit this fire in you that you've you've. Uh... I I I number one it's just I it's an exciting. Animation is the most underappreciated, underdeveloped art form of the 21st century. It is a baby, given how uh, where it's come from since the early days. It's currently stunted. It needs to grow. It needs. It needs. To, it, it is stuck. Animation is stuck. Now the good. The good news is Hollywood is losing its grip. And animation is turning international. It's one of the reasons why I moved. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so much of the excitement and 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 really good production and and art in animation is international. It's not coming out of out of money oriented Hollywood. And uh, and this is true also in games. I mean. So there's, I mean, I I I, I taught at C, what is it, CD Project Red and Warsaw, you know, these are good people. These are artists that are working. So it's, um, uh, I think the industry itself is is changing. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, with the birth of the streamers, uh, it's just uh, Disney owns everything, you know. And uh, but Disney is actually uh, losing a lot of its grip uh, on international on the development of projects. Netflix has picked up so much; it's developing stuff internationally. 
So um, anyway, I think that the industry overall needs to lift all the boats. And it begins with story. Good, yeah, 100%. good acting knowledge is wasted on bad stories. And you, people need to learn how to tell a story. It's, uh, I spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the story. Uh, the characters acting only makes sense because you're telling a story. Totally makes sense. Um, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I'm, I, story wins and it's why you remember things and it's why you're attracted to things. And I mean, I'm not too happy with all the sequels and everything that's, that seems to be raining now, oh. but I'm wondering, you know, uh, you've written this book, Acting for Animators, and and you wrote it quite a long time ago. It's in, you've done multiple editions. If somebody is listening and, uh, you know, they can't get Ed Hook's personal Acting for Animators class, what is what is the book, um, you know, what what does the book give them? Well, this is, this is the book. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, uh, and this is, uh, this just came out. And it's a uh, uh, published by Rutledge, and uh, you can, that's the best place to get it. Rutledge charges less than Amazon, and uh, and they'll ship free anywhere in the world. Uh, so it, it's a good place to get it. If you, and and there's a, a discount. Yeah, I yeah, think, we've, uh, they've given a thirty percent discount to listeners, which I'll include in the in the yeah. description. But I'm wondering, you know, what is the what is what are the topic highlights of the book for somebody that's I'm also interested, you know, what does it cover? I'm sure it covers the structure. Absolutely. I start with I start with the basics of it and uh I build basic structure. I begin with the definition of acting. Acting is behaving believably in pretend circumstances for a theatrical purpose. I begin with that. I define emotion I talk about how emotion leads to action. I talk about how acting has almost nothing to do with words. Uh, there's so much. Uh, it, 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 and then I do analyze in there, uh, I think five films. I go through them as scene by scene and I talk about the uh, what works in the scenes and what doesn't and why. Uh, it's, look, I am patting myself on the back here. That's fine. I'm curious. I asked you. This book, my book is unique. It's the only one of its kind. And if you want, I'm the only person that I know of that's teaching classical acting theory for, uh, for as applied to animation. It requires us. Look, I was an actor for 30 years and I was an acting teacher. By the time I came to to animation, I already knew a lot about acting. And then I took what I knew and I applied it to animation. And I was given this opportunity by DreamWorks uh, at PDI to experiment and to work it out. That's what led to this whole thing. Hmm. And uh, the, first, the first edition of Acting for Animators was published in 2001. And... Um, this one here is the fifth edition. Uh, every every one of them I've improved. Every one of them, and this particular edition I'm taking into account the very things we've been talking about. Is that everybody in the production line, not just the animators, 
everybody needs to get on board with this with with this so they can get uh, can talk to each other so maybe a final question on, on that aspect you know say i'm running a studio i've got a I don't know a TV show that is uh, that I've I've gotten the contract for. I've got a whole team set up, and uh, I've got the pipeline. At what point do I I bring in Ed Hooks or acting for animation or or some teaching to the whole studio? At what point does that happen? The sooner the better, actually. I, you know, I, I I know it's it sounds like I'm being just self-promotional and glib. I'm really not. You, it is impossible to expose your artists to this stuff too early. It's not going to hurt them, for yeah. sure. It's not going to hurt them, and um, and and it can it can it can help. And if I can get people in a class that are more than just the animators. Let me get everybody in there. Let me get the people that are doing the, the motion capture. Let me get everybody in there. Uh, I, and, and we can get everybody on the same team. It'll save the studio a lot of money and time. Are you speaking mostly about films or also TV? Because yeah. like TV is much more quick and over budget and late and... and <laughs> All I can imagine somebody reason. thinking, how can we how can we do this? It's all the more reason. It's yeah. all the more reason to get active to get them on the same page. So so I guess what you're you're purporting is uh everybody on the same page acting-wise saves yeah. direction, saves uh you know reviews at in the in the post uh end, I guess. Yeah. Okay, I, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, look. Here's the thing. I, let me tell you one quick story, and then I'll get yeah. to this. Is, this has to do with Big Hero Six. I, I was working at a uh, an animation event in England, and I had the um, you know what they do is they the speakers they take you to dinner in the evening and whatnot. So I'm sitting at the dinner, and and across from me is somebody I didn't know, and the guy introduced himself to me, and he said who he was the head of animation on Big Hero Six Disney. I said, oh, well, he didn't know that I had recently written an article for Cartoon Brew, which was a little critical of uh, <laughs> Big Hero 6. And I didn't want to ruin his dinner. And so I said, I said, oh, Big Hero 6. I said, uh, you know what my favorite sequence was in there? He said, no, what was it? And I said, it was when uh, uh, the, what is the character, the, the big um, I dummy? Can, yeah. Yeah, I can't uh, think know, of the name off the top of my head right yeah, now. The, yeah. the, 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 the robot, yeah. when he gets drunk, it looks like he's drunk. He's losing power and uh, and he's uh, and and he starts talking like this and he's got to get back to the uh, house and get plugged in, like recharging himself. And but he seems drunk. And I said to him, I said, I said, I thought from beginning to end, that was a really, really good uh, Baymax. That's the character. Baymax. Name. Right, 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 right. And I said, I thought that was a really, really good sequence beginning to end. It really was quite nice. And he said, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And we go back to eating our, our chicken, you know. And after a minute, this guy says to me, and this is it, Terry, I swear to God, he says to me, he says, well, you know, he was it, he, it wasn't always that way. 
And I said, well, well, what, what? He said, well, in the beginning, we had Baymax in a shopping cart. I said, you did, you did. He said, yeah, we had him in a shopping cart and, uh, and, and the character hero would push him. And, I, and, and he said, and then one of the storyboard people took him out of the shopping cart one day. And we thought it was a really good idea. And I said, yeah, it would be a good idea. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, uh, yeah, it was, it was funnier. I said, right. I said, be, it would be funnier. I said, you know why? And he said, uh, well, we just all agreed. We looked at it and we could see that this was just funnier. I said, right. I said, you, 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 you know why? And he said, well, you know, it was funnier. Now, I'm talking to the head of animation. And it's clear to me that he did not know why uh, Baymax in a shopping cart was not a good idea. And uh, I'm not going to offend him, but he's not, he, he didn't know how about this. The reason, I'll cut to the chase, the reason is because Baymax in a shopping cart cannot act. If you freeze frame Baymax in a shopping cart, and say, what are you doing? He can only say, I'm waiting for Hero to push me back and, and plug me in. Once you take him out of the shopping cart, now he has an objective. Right. What are you doing? I'm trying to get to the plug, to plug myself in. My action is to do it, is to head that way. My conflict is with my situation because I'm losing power. Baymax on the ground can act. Baymax in the shopping cart cannot. And here's Disney. I don't know how much they spent with Baymax in the shopping cart. But if they, they it had to, it's a $200 million movie. It had to have been hundreds of thousands of dollars that they spent putting Baymax in a shopping cart. And they didn't even know why it worked better when he was on the ground. I could have saved them so much money. <laughs> I love this story. It's an it's an excellent example, and I hope that uh, they the, the head of animation on Big Hero Six listens to this episode. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I can write. Anyway, that's it. I got no, but that, that's a that's a perfect example of how um, understanding the the structure and principles of acting for animation can be applied to drastically improve a scene because you have a story and you have plot point A and B and you have how can we get from plot point A and B? Well, they were just doing it the quickest way. I don't know, he's being pushed in a shopping cart versus how can we do it the most interesting uh, way that you know is hilarious and uh, brings about that conflict and the audience understands it. It's a higher level of uh, animation and acting. That makes perfect sure. sense to me. So maybe as a last question now, what you know, what are you, what do you want to next? Are you are you um, being cast as the as, as Shakespeare himself in the next movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I signed up with a with a talent agent here. I've directed a couple of plays here in okay. uh, English language. I directed a couple of plays, and they were well received. And uh, I I now to keep my toe in the acting world, I've uh, I signed up with a, a talent agent here. Oh. And I, I go to the occasional uh, audition that doesn't require me to uh, speak Portuguese. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Come on, it's been seven years. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, but I, I just, uh, I, I, I love it all. 
I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm 78 years old now, and uh, I will never retire. Uh, I love what I do. I'm very 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 lucky, and yeah. uh, and it's I just want to keep doing it and and try to get better. I try to get better all the time. Every class I teach, I learn every class. I love I love what you just said. I mean, um, <laughs> how do I say this nicely? You're one of the older older guests I've had on the podcast. I don't think I don't think the oldest, but what you just said you you will never retire. That is a that is a big uh, reason why I quit my day job to pursue animation because I'm very happy you said that and it sounds amazing. I'm so happy you said that because I always thought when I retire I will become an I'll start animation and then I thought. <laughs> I'm gonna what's the, when I retire why don't I just do that now and then I don't need to retire <laughs> bravo and that's what you did and that's exact you were right I applaud you oh well thanks Life hopefully is- hopefully when I'm I'm 78 I can come on a podcast and say the exact same thing because I think I think that's quite incredible what you just said and you know I can tell how passionate you are about this uh I'm I'm super thankful you wanted to come on and and reached out to me and and uh yeah <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I, I, I've just so enjoyed this conversation. And I, you know, one day we'll we'll do it again. And uh, you get yourself over to uh, uh, Lisbon, and uh, I'll, I'll feed you. Of course, so, I've only been in Lisbon for their airport. So next time I do a layover, I'll have to I'll have to I'll have to uh, delay that and and go say hi, I guess, or just go go to Portugal. <laughs> And if anybody wants to get me, wants to get in touch with me, I'm Ed Hooks at edhooks.com. Yes, yes. I was going to say, Ed do you have any Do you have any final words as we wrap up? Oh, final words? No. I want to applaud what you've done. Oh, it's thank you. Final word, because that really is the whole thing. You've listened to your own values, and that's what people need to do. You need to, you, life is not a dress rehearsal. And artists are shamanistic it's our job you know the politicians of the world will tell us why everything is wrong and and how it's all falling apart the artists are the ones that need to tell us how to get along and what to do how to live in the world it's an honorable uh thing to do and i i really applaud that you you took it and you said i'm going to do this because i want to do it Life is not a dress rehearsal. And uh, that's a, those are some nice final words. Usually people say, I don't know what to say, but I love, I love, that's, that's, that's great. Thank <laughs> You're you so, so right. Much. And even, you know, I think all of our lives are somewhat in that structure of objective uh, action and conflict, obviously, but. Uh, Aristotle. Yeah. That's what Aristotle said. Read the poetics. <laughs> Every human action has a purpose. If you understand that, you're halfway home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, thank you, Ed, so much for coming on again. Appreciate it. Tuning in from Portugal, and here I am in Canada. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much. Have a have a good day. Thank you. And if you're listening, and if you're listening, uh, you can uh, you can reach out to or follow Ed by checking out his website, which is edhooks.com. You can also ed- email him at edhooks at email edhooks at edhooks.com. And of course, I'll include a link to acting for animators from Rutledge uh, with a 30% discount. And all of that will be in the description of this chat. So thank you so much. And that's all for now. Okay, bye.
The music for this podcast was composed by Willem Mendo and the graphics by Luhan Wang. I encourage you to look them up if you've enjoyed their work.